0: Submitted. We'll hear argument next, number 02809, Maryland versus Joseph Germain Pringle. Mr. Bear,
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, when the officer stopped the car, respondent was riding in and found drugs packaged for distribution in the rear seat armrest and then also found a large amount of cash in the glove compartment.
0: What, the in, rear seat armrest was pushed up yes, and then the drugs were behind the, the armrest.
1: Yes, Mr. Chief Justice, the, the rear seat armrest was pushed up against the rear seat. The officer merely folded it down and then the drugs appeared. And these were drugs that were packaged in five separate individual packages that were packaged for distribution at $20 a bag. The officer also found $763 in a rolled up ball of cash in the glove compartment. And there, at that time, there was individualized probable cause that focused on all three people in that car. And this is so for three principal reasons. First. At
2: the end of the day, what happened?
1: At the end of the day, all three were arrested. Respondent confessed and said there might. And by...
2: respondent was a front seat passenger?
1: Yes, Justice O'Connor. He's
2: the one who confessed? Yes. And was found ultimately guilty of he was found... some drug-related
1: offense? He was found guilty both of possession and possession with and
2: the And the other sir. two?
1: The other two were not charged formally after responding confessed. The officer made a discretionary decision not to charge the other two at the station house after responding confessed to this crime.
2: Do you say that there was probable cause for the arrest of all three at the time? Yes, they Your were Honor. Found? Was there a probable cause sufficient uh to support charges at a preliminary hearing?
1: I think there would have been. Against all three? I I guess, Justice O'Connor, I think there would have been. I think given the circumstances of this arrest, the mere fact that one of the three confessed doesn't ultimately determine that the other two were not culpable. Is
2: there any additional requirement for establishing probable cause at a preliminary hearing above and beyond what's needed for the arrest, or are they identical?
1: I would say they're identical, Your Honor.
3: So so under under that view, assume no confession, hypothetical case. Under that view, these people, all of the three could have been bound over for trial?
1: I believe so. I believe so. And
3: under that view, any motion to dismiss prior to trial would have to be uh, denied?
1: I believe there would have been probable cause to charge and to take the yeah. cases to trial. And I Ma- suppose
3: ma'am. what happens in that case is the judge said, now I want to tell you right up front, I think this is a very skimpy case. You'd better come up with something. I, mean, I guess that's the way it works. I think but so. I- but the, as, as O'Connor said, it's probable cause, and it's the same standard, excuse me, it's the same standard to bind over on arraignment as it is for the officer to arrest.
1: Well, my understanding from the case law, Your Honor, is that probable cause is probable cause, be it to search, to arrest, uh, or an, I think it's, it's a fluid concept, obviously, depending on the exact context. And I'm not saying that a prosecutor would not exercise discretion, as would a police officer in a given case, not to take a case forward.
0: Well, a preliminary hearing is largely a matter of Maryland law, isn't it, or state law?
1: It is, and it would be — I mean, is there any,
0: any constitutional requirement that there be a preliminary hearing before a criminal case is tried?
3: not that I know of your honor no well i take it even under the constitution if it's a federal case uh, both the in, the indictment and the or, or the information um show simply probable cause that's enough to bind over
1: i believe so mm-hmm. justice kennedy i believe so now in this case of course there was but ultimately- if you
3: say it's fluid that that concerns me i was somewhat puzzled by what the government said in its brief page 26 or 26, 28. 8 is a well You know, it's fluid. The prosecutor takes a second look, and it it sounds as if the prosecutor has a greater burden, but I'm not sure that that's the law.
1: I'm not sure it's a greater burden. I think the prosecutor's decision, of course, is looking forward to trial, where they know that they have to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. They know they have to get past a motion for judgment of acquittal. The police officer on the scene is making the same type of decision vis-à-vis probable cause, but it's in a very different context. I think, I think that's the difference.
2: In your view, is this very fact specific so that it might come out differently if the money and the drugs had been located in some little pocket next to the driver as opposed to some rear seat passenger or other passenger?
1: I think one factor that would significantly change the uh, totality of the circumstances here would be, for instance, if the drugs had been found on the person of one of the no, passengers. that
2: wasn't my question. What if, if they been, were found very close to the driver? You know, sometimes there's a little pocket right next to the door. To, on the door, on the driver's side. Suppose it were there, but you had a passenger in the front and in the rear. Any different result?
1: Not in this case, no. I think, I think if, if the drugs are found in a common area of the passenger compartment of the car. How about the trunk? I think the trunk changes things a little bit, but of course you'd have to look at the totality of the circumstances just: a Jennifer. little bit.
4: I thought this whole case was predicated. your whole case was predi- predicated on those drugs between the armrest and the back seat were accessible to all three people in that car. That's now if you have something in a locked trunk, it truly is not accessible to the passengers.
1: It certainly is not as accessible and, of course, it's not as immediately accessible. But, for instance, if there had been a large quantity of drugs in the trunk uh, or if there had been a dead body in the trunk, I think then there is a, a, the calculus changes in terms of totality of the circumstances. And I think if it were that situation, even though that particular evidence was in the trunk, I think there's still a, a, a strong inference that could be drawn that everyone in the car knew about it? Because who would take the chance in terms of taking along Well, let's stick to
4: these five bags that were stuck in a Ziploc bag. The Ziploc bag is in the trunk, not a dead body.
1: I understand. I think in that case, there would be a much closer case. It would be a much more difficult case vis-à-vis all three occupants of the car. But
2: under, under your view, if If the car is in a high crime area and some mother gets a ride from her son whom she perhaps doesn't know has been involved in drugs, then if drugs are found anywhere in that car, she's um subject to arrest and and sufficient for charge not not i mean it, it, suppose it's at in the middle of the day and she's going to the grocery store. We don't have it at 3 a.m. in a, uh, an area where drugs are frequently sold. Does that enter into the calculus?
1: I think it does, Your Honor. I think, obviously, with, with, with the, the totality of the circumstances, any time you change, and, of course, some of these are going to have more minor impact. Some are going to have more major impact. But in this case, you had, of course, 3.16 in the morning, three men who were roughly of the same age, uh, who appeared to be intimately connected with one another. You had the drugs and the money. I think here's a very strong case, but I agree what just. What if the there had been four
5: people in the car?
1: I don't know that four people would change things. How about six? I think within the car. Or counter- what if it was
5: a minivan and there were eight in the minivan?
1: I'm not sure it changes it significantly, Your Honor. I think that the, the, the most You think significant- with eight people
5: in the minivan, you could arrest all eight and hold them uh,
1: over for trial? I think if you had Identical circumstances to these in terms of the time, how well acquainted they all appeared, the fact there was money, the, the fact that there were drugs packaged for distribution. It appeared to the officer a reasonable inference that there was a drug distribution uh, But the uh, distribution, as
5: I understand it, was just enough to take care of a big party. They, they, there was no evidence that they were for sale, I was there?
1: Well, the evidence at the time the officer made the arrest, I think he could draw an inference that there was cash proceeds perhaps of, of, of former drug sales, prior drug sales, and there were five individually packaged crack uh, uh, hits of crack cocaine.
4: And the charge was possession with intent to distribute, wasn't
1: it? Yes, it was both simple possession and possession with intent to distribute. And how, he was convicted. how about
4: if it had been a bus? Now, we've gone from the sedan to the minivan. How about the bus?
1: I think a bus is different, Your Honor. I think a bus Changes things significantly in, in the context of, of course, the numbers of people are much greater. And then there's, you're talking a, about a
6: public a, bus or you're talking about a chartered bus?
1: <laughs> I think that, that would affect, obviously, the, the, the totality of circumstances what, as well.
3: What, what is, what is the rule that you're, there's the restatement hypotheticals, restatement of torts, uh, where there's the dead body and two people are each, uh, um, accusing the other and add, I don't know how the hypothetical would work, but add to the mix that only one could have done it. Can you rest both?
1: I think you can, Your Honor. I think both the restatement of torts, uh, the model code of pre pre-arrangement procedure, and just the, the, the nature of probable cause would permit that. Because we're talking about — Model
3: code of pre-arrangement procedure, just talk about, again about probable cause?
1: Same situation where you have, say, two people, only one of whom could be guilty of the crime. You could still have pro, you still would have probable cause to arrest. That's both. two people, and here you've got three. Yeah, what
6: I'm about not, three? I was going to ask, what about three? I think three is, is You can arrest all three. I think so. What yeah. about five? You can arrest all five, even, I mean, you know, it gets worse and worse. Well, of ten percent chance that, there are ten of them now. And, so and, the and chance the, that any individual one did it is ten percent. That's still
1: enough. I think we can't draw, the, the court in Gates said that you cannot quantify probable cause. You would have to, in, in those circumstances... It doesn't mean probable. It, no, it does not mean probable. Clearly — Why
6: do we call it probable cause?
1: I'm not — I think there, there's a, a bit of a misnomer there, but clearly from the case law of this Court, it means a fair probability. It means something greater than reasonable suspicion under Terry. But if you had to reduce
5: it to a percentage figure, what would you call a percentage required for probable cause?
1: I, I don't know that I could, Your Honor. I really don't know that it's useful but to — It's
5: less than 50, though, I gather.
1: Yes, you're, you, the cases of this Court has said — So that said, takes
5: care of the two people in the room, but — when you get down to 33 and a third with three people.
1: I think, I think three people clearly would be. Four people
5: would be 25%. Is that enough? Probably. Probably.
1: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. You, you, ag- you agree,
5: <laughs> you
7: agree that at some point the probability is, if when the numbers uh, of,
1: of people present keep increasing, at some point the probability is going to be too slim. Yes, I agree okay. with that. I agree with that. But again, in Illinois versus Gates, this court said we will not, we cannot, it's not useful to try to quantify probable cause in that way. We still have to look at the totality of the circumstances beyond whether there are two people or three people or, or whatever.
5: And First, what in the, the government's theory I don't think it would matter, because they say you can infer a conspiracy. And I suppose then the whole bus could be in the conspiracy. But if it's an individual approach, which I think you're taking, then the number of people might make a difference. Right.
1: I think so. Now, of course, it would depend on, on the crime that the probable cause was going to. In this particular crime, of course, drugs can be jointly and constructively possessed. So clearly in this particular car, all three of the people could be guilty of the crime, not just one.
3: Do, do you accept Justice Stevens's uh, suggestion that your position might differ from the government here?
1: I don't know that it does. I think our positions are, are basically the same.
3: Uh, so, so you do think a, a conspiracy can generally can be inferred as to all people in these, in an in the instance like this? In
1: our case, absolutely, absolutely. In our case, clearly,
5: you didn't argue the conspiracy theory in the state court, I don't think, did
1: you? Well, I think we did, Your Honor. I think I... we argued in, in the state court that because drugs can be jointly and constructively possessed, that any one, two, or three of the individuals in the car we're we're guilty of this crime.
7: If you know nothing more
1: than what you know here, I mean, I take
7: it that if if it were undisputed that one of the three was a hitchhiker, you you would not make the argument with respect to the hitchhiker.
1: I think if if it's undisputed, and of course that's going to be a difficult situation to to know that there's no. actual... That's the kind of, wonderful
7: but, thing about being on the Supreme Court. You can
1: if it's make if, those assumptions. If it's undisputed, then I think that significantly changes because yeah. I think a lot of the, the a core concept here is this notion of common enterprise, that when you have people in a car together, particularly a, a, a small passenger car, uh, there's, an, there's an inference, I think in this case, a very strong inference that all three of these people were engaged in a common enterprise. But so
4: had, what, if the car,
5: what if the car included a driver and two hitchhikers and the drugs were found exactly as they were here and obviously no common enterprise? Would there be probable cause?
1: I guess it would be, of course, that would be a more difficult case because you had the money in the glove compartment of the car, and the drugs in the back seat of the car. I'm so not that,
5: sure the money really adds anything to the analysis. To tell you the truth, I
1: think it, it adds, certainly
5: nothing illegal about carrying money in the glove compartment. Where it, it is illegal to carry drugs in the behind the, the seat armrest. Arm rest.
1: Well, certainly the 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 money without the drugs would be a, a different case than the drugs well, without the money. The, the, hit,
0: the hitchhiker uh, example poses a question for the arresting officer because does he have to accept the declaration of someone that I'm just a
6: hitchhiker
1: here? No, and and that of course goes back to whether it's undisputed in some way. I don't don't know quite how it would be undisputed. You've always got the, the officer who on the scene is making a reasonable judgment from all the facts and circumstances and one of those is I don't have to believe the criminal or criminals in this car. I know there are drugs in the car. We have a known crime here being committed in the presence of the officer, possession or possession with intent. Well, I'm to still curious drugs. about
5: the answer to my question. Assume the officer did accept the truth of the representation. There were two, two hitchhikers picked up at different times. And maybe he was following the car, so we knew that was true. And then there's the driver, and then there are drugs in the back seat just as they are. Would there be probable cause in that case?
1: Two, two answers to that, Justice Stevens. One, of course, is you would measure the probable cause by an objective standard and not by the subjective standard of that particular police officer. The other is... But what is the answer? The other is, it could be that... You're
6: gonna say the two answers were yes and no. It could
1: be, Your Honor, that the, the driver knew the hitchhikers and that's why he picked them up. I mean, a lot of times— No, no, no. Don't. I'm
5: just assuming, assuming the only relevant facts are that it's undisputed. They were two two unrelated—there are three unrelated people. They're just entirely different backgrounds. One doesn't even speak English, and one doesn't speak Spanish. But there are three of them in the car, and the drugs are found exactly under the circumstances here. What I'm trying to say, if there were no conspiracy theory, would there be probable I think call? so,
1: yes. Yes, I think there
5: would be. You, you, ha- you really have to say that based on the, the dead victim— hypothetical
3: that you answered earlier
1: i think so i think so that that if the again one the other inference among the uh the the indicators of a of a common enterprise would be it's i think it's unusual that several people are going to be taking a chance driving around either with evidence of a murder or evidence of a drug conspiracy they're not simply as a matter of of reasonable inferences that an officer can draw uh take the chance of having innocent people along Unless there are any further questions, I'd, I'd reserve the remainder. I Very think. well,
0: Mr. Baer. Mr. we we'll hear from you.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The totality of the circumstances apparent to the officer at the scene established probable cause for respondents' arrest. Of particular significance, the officer uncovered drugs that were packaged for disp- distribution, and that were concealed in a location in which they were readily discoverable by the other passengers.
2: Your brief reads to me at about page 15 to suggest that you're proposing a broad rule that probable cause exists to arrest all occupants of a car any time commercial quantities of narcotics are found in the passenger portion of the car.
8: It's, we don't is intend, that
2: your position?
8: We don't intend to suggest a broad rule, Justice. You Honor. agree
2: that it is a totality of the circumstances test?
8: Yes, it's a totality of the circumstances test, and it will turn on contextual factors that are present in any particular case. Well, you, you do say at, at page 15,
3: beginning of the first full paragraph, for these reasons, the discovery of an amount of narcotics suitable for distribution in the passenger compartment supports an inference that all of the car's occupants were aware of and hence involved with the drugs. That's a sweeping statement.
8: Well, what what we intend to say is that ordinarily when drugs that are packaged for distribution are found in a location in which they're readily discoverable by the other passengers, a reasonable officer can fairly conclude that there's a fair probability that each passenger is, is aware of the drugs. But, of course, but in it, particular it might, cases —
2: wouldn't different factors enter into it? Suppose it's a young child
8: Absolutely, Justice O'Connor. in the vehicle,
2: and uh, it's in the middle of the day, and they're dropping the child off at school or something. Are, are you suggesting there would nonetheless be this inference and the child could be hauled up and sent to the juvenile board?
8: No, the inference is tethered to the particular facts of this case. In cases that present different facts, for example, if a child was in the car or if, as was earlier discussed, a hitchhiker were in the car, the probable, co- probable cause calculus would be different. But in this case, there was no reason to suspect that any of the individuals was uninvolved in the possession of the cocaine. In fact, what's particularly significant, uh, significant in this case, in our view, is the location in which the drugs were found. Because they were found wedged behind the rear seat armrest, which apparently is the type of armrest that's adjustable in an up or down position. The very purpose of that type of armrest is to give the passenger an option according to his preference, whether to position the armrest in one position or the there other. So, evidence highly
5: supports the highly that the the that that are uninvolved. uninvolved that that as soon as one one them them the the police immediately the the charge the the other two and therefore therefore the the that that was was common
8: enterprise. Well, Well, think think there's a different question. question concerning whether there was probable cause for an arrest and the determination by an officer whether to proceed with charges. Just because the officer... if If the backseat person or whoever it was that confessed, had confessed while the officer
5: was arresting him, there would have remained probable cause as to the other two? Could he have said, I don't believe
8: you, I'll take all three of you in anyway? There might well have been, Justice Stevens, because an officer is not required to believe the version of events that's given to him by people on the scene. It might well be the case that they have a coordinated plan in advance to pin the blame on a particular person as opposed to the other two, and an officer can take into account the totality of the circumstances in making that type of assessment.
4: May I I clarify whether you are indeed relying on common enterprise? I thought the view was it may or may not be a common enterprise, but here's the situation. Drugs equally accessible, drugs accessible to any one of the three, we can't say whether all three or which one. So... Looking at the three and say, well, it's not more, not more likely the driver than the front seat passenger who's there behind the money or the back seat passenger because any one of them could have pulled down that armrest. I thought that was your theory, not a, not necessarily a common enterprise.
8: That's correct, Justice Ginsburg. It's not necessarily a common enterprise. It could be any one of the three or it could be all of them or some combination of the three of them. And the combination of those various scenarios uh, rose to the level of a fair probability that respondent was involved with the cocaine. And as I, was, as I was saying, that's particularly the case because they were concealed behind the armrest, which is a type of instrument that affirmatively invites manipulation by a passenger. So if one of the occupants of the vehicle are, alone were responsible for carrying cocaine, it seems quite unlikely that he, he would have chosen the area behind the armrest as a place to conceal it from the other passengers.
3: Do, do we demand the same... Uh, standard from the arresting officer, as we do from uh, the district attorney, who decides whether or not to, to proceed to preliminary hearing.
8: The probable cause standard works the same in both situations. The question would be whether there's a fair probability. but, now, but
3: do we demand a higher standard?
8: Well, it's of either of them in making that assessment. It's often the case that pro- prosecutors will have more rigorous standards as a matter of internal. Uh, print as a matter of internal guidelines. And, for example, in the U.S. Attorney's Manual, it dictates that prosecutors in the federal system um, need to ensure that it's likely that they'll be able to obtain a convention on... on well, isn't, isn't on the that it? That
7: means the, s- the probable cause standard is the same, but the prosecutor has an obligation to try to find out more and get more evidence uh, before he goes forward. Isn't that the difference?
8: Right. The nature of the application of the probable cause standard is different at the prosecutorial stage because the prosecutor is identifying a particular offense, laying out the facts that support that offense in the indictment.
7: But the standard, the the standard that determines the the degree of likelihood of inference, that is the same standard, whether we're talking about the police officer or whether we're talking
8: about the district attorney. Correct. That remains constant in both scenarios.
6: I'm not sure what you're saying. You're saying it, it can get to the jury with, with no more than probable cause and should not be thrown out by the court?
8: No, there's a different, there's a different question whether the evidence is sufficient to convict as, as presented by the prosecutor. and right? no, but the you're prosecutor saying the prosecutor does, does the not have an
6: obligation to, uh, uh, to refrain from bringing a prosecution where, where he plainly, on the face of it, doesn't have enough evidence to convict?
8: As long as there's probable cause to go forward, the prosecutor can go forward.
0: To say largely. plainly on the face of it is something that a, a prosecutor is seldom confronted with. I mean, you've got different people telling different stories, usually, and it's usually a question of who's believed. That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. And ordinarily, I'm assuming course, he has
6: three people in the car, and the chance for each of them is 33 and a third percent. Well, he could He go prosecutes for, one of them, and he has nothing else. That's all he has, three people in the car, stuff in the back seat. Well, that's. He picks the passenger. And, and and brings a prosecution, the passenger, it could have been me, it could have been the other two, 33 and a third percent.
8: Well, that, that's that's different from the facts of this case, but even assuming that it were an equal likelihood that each of them independently were involved in the offense, the he, prosecutor could go forward in that situation, but it's it's highly unlikely that he would go forward in that situation because uh, because he's unlikely to obtain a verdict in his favor. So there's institutional and district incentives. And court probably
3: would dis, uh, not let the case go to the jury if the motion was made at the — End of the prosecution's case, and this is all you have? That's correct, Justice Kennedy. So
6: the prosecution should, the prosecutor should bring cases which clearly will will not be able to go to the jury? No, not
8: should bring cases. I think May, may. May under yeah, the I, Constitution. That's not my
6: understanding of the prosecutor's.
8: Uh, um, and that's why I think prosecutors typically enforce upon themselves a more rigorous obligation than the probable cause standard. But
6: we have no case
8: saying that they may not proceed. No, there's no case that I'm aware of that says that they can't proceed where there's probable cause.
4: But you just but, said the manual instructed them not to bring cases to trial.
8: In the federal system, yes. there's federal guidelines that spell out when federal prosecutors are supposed to bring <laughs> cases to trial, but I'm not aware that that's required by federal law or by uh, the Constitution. Each Do, prosecutor's office might have their own. you have readily at hand
3: that, that, the, the citation of the manual? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the particular
8: provision. Of course,
0: the, 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 uh, the manual wouldn't anyway bind Maryland
8: authorities. That's correct. The, each prosecutor's office might have different If, 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 if the
0: federal manual binds anyone.
8: Right. <laughs> well, the, the deficiencies in the Maryland court's probable cause analysis, we think, are particularly apparent when one considers the implications for officers at the scene in circumstances like this case, because apparently the upshot is that officers either could arrest no one or that they could arrest the driver alone. And the latter situation seems unsound because perhaps the least likely scenario in circumstances like this case is that that the driver was acting alone and carrying the contraband in the car. Because if the driver, in fact, were acting alone, one might expect that he would conceal the contraband in a location in which it was not so readily discoverable by the other passengers.
4: What about the respondent's position, that your position means two innocent people may be locked up in jail because suppose Pringle hadn't fessed up? and he exercised his right to remain silent. Then you might have for prolonged periods, assuming they couldn't make bail, three people stuck in the brig and two of them are innocent.
8: Yes, Justice Ginsburg. It's possible that innocent persons will be arrested and bound over in circumstances like in this case, but the probable cause standard accepts that possibility as the cost of ensuring the effective enforcement of the criminal laws. In fact, this Court reiterated in Wardlaw recently that the probable cause standard accepts that innocent persons may be arrested on occasion. That's simply the cost of a functioning criminal justice system.
0: Thank you, Mr. Shrinevazen. Ms. Forster, we'll hear from you.
9: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This is a unique case with highly unusual facts, and the reason it is unique is because of the facts, not because of the facts that exist so much in this case, but because of those that do not exist here. There was no testimony whatsoever in this case that Mr. Pringle had control over or knowledge of the drugs hidden in the back seat of the car.
0: Ms. Forster, when you say testimony, you're not referring to any scheduled hearing or formal hearing, are you?
9: Well, Your Honor, what the Court of Maryland reviews on appeal is the motion to suppress hearing. And at that hearing, there was no evidence presented whatsoever that the officer in this case noticed any furtive movements by Mr. Pringle, any furtive gestures, uh, that he said anything suspicious at the scene, or that he acted in any unusually nervous manner. All we well, I have thought here- we
2: were considering this on the basis offered, which is the three people at 3.30 a.m. in a high-crime neighborhood- In a sedan where there were a certain quantity of drugs behind the
9: armrest and money in the glove compartment. A few corrections if I may, Justice. Three people in the car. This is, uh, 3 a.m. is accurate. 3.16 a.m. It is in a residential area. This was not in fact a high crime area. Uh, and I think that under the totality of the circumstances we have to put that in context. And the context is this that it's three AM on a Saturday night with a car of three young men in their twenties in a residential area. And I think that anyone who has children of that age knows that often their Saturday night does not even begin until ten or eleven. Well, a lot a. of people
0: wouldn't refer to children as being in their twenties, I think.
9: <laughs> young adult children, Your Honor. Um,
3: you, you make an interesting opening statement uh, that this is highly unusual. Uh, um, we've a lot of us read a lot of these cases. It seems to me this happens all the time. That drugs in the car, the person says, "It's not mine." It seems to me that that's commonplace.
9: But what we have here with respect to uh, Mr. Pringle is simply presence and nothing more. We have no further isn't, isn't
7: there something more than presence here? Isn't the, significance, uh, isn't the significant evidence in this case uh, something that appears when you contrast it with Houghton from a couple of years ago? Houghton, you had evidence that the driver of the car was a recreational or personal drug user. We don't, I think, in the society, at least certainly today, assume that everyone who is in the company of a recreational drug user is also a drug user or an accessory to the first person's drug use. Here, however, uh, what the police officer had was evidence not merely of the time, but of of three people in a relatively small car with commercial quantities of drugs, an amount of money that was enough to suggest that drug dealing was going on. And I think a, a, an inference was possible that someone in that car was, was dealing in the drugs. And it seems to me that the different inference that can be drawn about the others here, as distinct from the inference in the Houghton case is, most drug dealers do not go around in their place of business the car with people who are totally innocent uh, of, of drug activity.
9: If isn't
7: that the basic difference between this and Houghton? And doesn't that inference support amount to probable cause?
9: Your Honor, if I, if I may, um, with respect to this being packaging, uh, the drugs package that is indicative of, of sale, or for distribution, there was absolutely no evidence uh, in this record that this was anything inconsistent with personal use.
7: Five, five crack cocaine hits?
9: Yes, Your Honor. In fact, I think that there are a lot of crack cocaine addicts for which that is a small amount
7: of well, personal this, How it, about it, a big roll of money?
9: And your honour, also, uh, there's a problem with the record in in this respect. Well, you pointed it out,
7: but I think it—I thought—and tell me if I'm wrong here. I thought that it was—it was the evidence was, uh, regardless of how he first described the the quantity that he saw. I thought the evidence came out that there was 700 and some odd dollars in it. So I think the, the judge could infer. Uh, that it was fairly a fairly sizable roll of bills.
9: Uh, Justice Souter, the actual amount did not come out until the trial. That never came out at the motion to suppress hearing. And in fact, the amount of money was never characterized at the motion to suppress hearing by the officer who testified, other than to say he saw the sum of money. That's and it, all. Was in,
7: and it was in the glove compartment. It was
9: concealed in the glove and compartment. It was,
7: it was open. It wasn't in a wallet or something like a that. We, roll we, of don't,
9: we don't know. In fact, the officer, who t- Officer Snyder, when he testified at the motion to suppress hearing, simply said that when um, uh, Mr. Partlow, the driver of the automobile, went to retrieve his license and registration from the glove box, that is when I saw the money. So, well, but he, he
0: must have seen it in, in the form of. Uh, a roll of bills or something, like that, rather than, as Justice Souter just said, you not in a wallet.
9: The record is unclear. Well, but,
0: I mean, you, you don't have to have been born yesterday to decide that.
9: Well, the, uh, Your Honor, I guess the, the point is, is that all that was before the trial, the trial judge at the motion to suppress hearing, there was never any characterization of the denomination, the amount, nothing. Just the only thing that was said was the money.
7: Do you have a roll of bills exposed in your glove compartment?
9: At times, I do, Your Honor.
7: You do? Yes. You better be careful. (laughs) I
9: I might also point out that um, at the actual trial, the expert who did testify for the state with regard to the um, whether or not this was an intent to distribute, testified that without Mr. Pringle's confession in his statement, he could not, in fact, say that this was um, consistent with an intent to distribute based solely. It was at
4: least possession. So would you concede that a crime in the officer's presence, there was evidence of the commission of a crime? Yes. Then- So the officer says, I know that a crime has been committed. In the whole world, there are only three possible people who could do it. What instruction would you give to the officer on the scene who knows that a crime has been committed, there are three possible people, but he can't say which? Is it the answer that he can make no arrest? No, that's not. What arrest can he make?
9: Justice Ginsburg, in this case, the officer could arrest Mr. Partlow, the driver of the automobile, because I think it is universally accepted that we can impute the driver owner of an automobile with the knowledge that he knows what is in his car and he has exclusive control over that which is in his car. So the officer here should have arrested Mr. Partlow.
4: And no one else.
9: Um, Your Honor, I would suggest that perhaps, I mean, and of course this is not the issue before the court, that perhaps because uh, Mr. Smith, the backseat occupant, may also have been arrested, given that the nature of an armrest is not really a, uh, a, a normal repository that one would place personal items. So in. Maybe,
4: definitely, the driver. Maybe the backseat maybe passenger. Maybe, Mr. Smith. But not the one who, in fact, who in fact committed the crime.
9: Not, definitely not Mr. Pringle. But of course, if we're going to use Mr. Pringle's confession in determining, in hindsight, uh, we if we need not a, have If this were
4: a bus mass. or a tavern or a theater, some of the examples then it certainly would be unreasonable to assume that the front seat passenger could reach back to the last row of the theater but here this was a small car it isn't hard for somebody in the front seat to turn around and push down the armrest
9: justice Ginsburg, i agree with that that orton perhaps that it would would not be difficult given the uh uh, compact uh, nature of this car. However, there was no testimony that, in fact, that anyone saw Mr. Pringle do that. Number one, and number two. Well, that's two, because
7: they they didn't have a a a, a buy uh, committed in the presence of the officer at the scene.
9: Well, I, I understand I mean, that. I don't Your Honor, know
7: why that counts against.
9: Well, my second response would be this: that I think that it would be highly unreasonable that Mr. Smith, the back seat passenger would allow Mr. Pringle to turn around and store the drugs in the armrest right next to him.
0: Ms. Forster, uh, the Maryland Court of Appeals, which ruled in your favor, uh, says during the search, Officer Snyder seized $763 from the glove compartment. So they are — they accepted that as a fact.
9: Your Honor, the, the Maryland with, — with all due respect, the Maryland Court of Appeals made a mistake in this case because what well, they said in well, their but, opinion uh, — no, we,
0: we take the facts as the lower court found them. I mean, I, I don't think it will do to say that the, the Court of Appeals is wrong on the facts.
9: It, Your Honor, what the Court of Appeals uh, incorrectly did in this case was — and they dropped a footnote to suggest that it was unclear to them whether or not there was a separate motion to suppress hearing uh, or whether there was a combined motion to suppress trial proceeding. In fact, that's incorrect. There was a separate motion to suppress hearing.
0: But, the, but, but they nonetheless say that — uh, Officer Snyder seized $763.
9: That's true, Your Honor. And and for purposes of Mr. Pringle's position, the fact that that money is concealed, really it makes no difference, the amount. However, if the, uh, as the petitioner and the U.S. solicitor, find the amount to be significant, I think we should have a clearer record.
10: Well, why but, could you say the driver? I mean, on your theory, I, would, I would think it would be harder for the driver, he's driving along, to put the, bags back in the back seat than it would be for the passengers.
9: Well, Justice Breyer, that assumes that the driver did not put it there before he picked up his passengers. If he put
10: it there before, wouldn't they all know it was there?
9: Uh, I don't think so, Your Honor, if it's if it's sandwiched between the armrests as it's pushed up against the seat. No, I don't.
4: But the driver consented to have the car served. So one might think, my goodness, mm-hmm. if he knew there were drugs there, why did he say yes when he could have said no?
9: Justice Ginsburg, I can tell you, as a criminal defense lawyer, that defendants consent all the time when they have a car full of drugs and they know the drugs are there. It's not unusual. It's
4: it's not like one of the cases that you relied on, the the DeRay case. Your answer to me was arrest the driver. There, the informer had fingered the driver, so the police knew that they had the right man when they arrested the driver. Here, it isn't at all like DeRay because the driver may or may not have been the right person.
9: Except that what, how this case is similar to DeRay is that in DeRay this court held that if the act, the criminal activity, the ongoing criminal activity is not visible, to the occupants, the mere presence is not enough uh, on which to have probable cause to arrest. And here we have concealed drugs and nothing more than Mr. Pringle's presence in the but front there, seat. There's, there's another difference.
4: The drugs are not locked up in the trunk. They are at a place where the backseat person could push it down. There wasn't a serious attempt to hide those drugs securely.
9: Yes, Justice Ginsburg, I agree with that. But, however, that would only point more closely to Mr. Smith, the backseat person sitting directly next to the armrest, not to Mr. Pringle, the front seat passenger.
7: Well, except uh, if, if, if you accept the proposition that the, uh, that there probably was a, a roll of bills visible in, in the uh, glove compartment, Mr. Pringle was within easy reach, not even arm's reach, of the roll of bills.
9: Well, Justice Souter, the, the problem with that, of course, it's, it's uh, pure speculation, but we don't even know if this glove compartment was locked or unlocked. What we know is that it was opened by the driver at the time he was asked to mm-hmm. retrieve his license and registration. Whether he had to unlock that glove compartment is not clear at all from the well, record. Well,
7: we don't know that, and we don't know whether the armrest had come down during the time the backseat passenger was there. There are lots of things at a probable cause stage that one does not know. Uh, but the very fact, if, if we're, if we're going to talk, if we're going to find it significant, uh, that something is within reach of one of the, the passengers or not, uh, I would have supposed that for probable cause purposes, the fact that the money was in reach uh, was a relevant fact.
9: But, Your Honor, uh, I, I think that if we want to speculate, that perhaps then we could say that that would be enough. But probable cause requires far more than speculation. It requires a fair probability, at least of complicity, and we simply don't have the facts in this case that would support that fair probability with respect to Mr. Pringle, because all the record shows is that Mr. Pringle was present in a car where drugs were found hidden. And if I may address the common enterprise theory um, that both the petitioner and the US solicitor relies on in this case, the problem with the common enterprise theory is that the cases that they cite in support of that involved ongoing criminal activity that was conducted in plain view. You have the Ulster County case where the court found that the weapons, one of which was described as as large as a cannon, that was in plain view of all of the occupants of the car. And in the Houghton case, so it was reasonable in the Ulster County case, or if that had, in fact, been the issue in that case, which it was not. I
10: just think that, look, it just doesn't strike me as plausible that when you have three people in a car, one of them would stuff some drugs behind an armrest where they're very easy to find, unless he thought the other two were in on it. I mean, unless you thought the other two at least didn't care. And if they didn't care, they're out there transporting the drugs with Well, So what how, how I don't even know. I mean, I'm, what I'm struggling for is that seems like a reasonable inference. So how, 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 do, how do I know? I mean, I'm making this kind of inference. How do I know whether I should or not?
9: Justice Breyer, the, the inference that the backseat passenger may stuff the drugs in the armrest. Any
10: of the three. I mean, any of them might. And why would they? Why, you'd have to be crazy to be stuffing crack into a car like that without thinking your friends or or have don't give a damn at the very least.
9: But certainly, and
10: probably are in on
9: it. But certainly, I think that even if they, he does that in the view of Mr. Pringle, that so that Mr. Pringle has knowledge that the uh, drugs were shoved in the armrest, that certainly does not also uh, go to the next level, which is that Mr. Pringle possesses those drugs. Uh, I may would, see would, one of the passenger.
4: The officer at that point. Then be able to say ah but in any case i could arrest the other two because they're harboring a felon in other words you you said that you could maybe arrest the ones who's sitting next to, to the, the other
9: since the uh, drugs are barely
4: concealed
9: well no your honor I, perhaps i, I I uh, was not clear. But
10: she's thinking, there might be a million different crimes. You say to the front seat passenger, everything's the same, but you say to the front seat passenger, Mr. Front Seat Passenger, did you know that there were drugs down there in the armrest? And he says, yes. That's all he says. I would imagine he could be arrested then, couldn't he?
9: No, Your Honor. Couldn't arrest him then? I don't think he could be that. Or for transporting
10: the drugs or helping to transport them or being an accessory or doing something.
9: Certainly if he's the front seat passenger and not the driver, he's he's along for the ride. He's not necessarily the person to Well, he doesn't say
10: anything. We don't know anything about it. He just says, sure, I knew there were drugs back there. That's all.
9: Under those circumstances, Your Honor, I think you'd have a much closer case.
10: No, no, but but no. Look, either there is a crime of being in a car knowing that or there isn't is there or not i don't know
9: well the crime of possession requires not just knowledge uh but it also requires the intent to exercise dominion and control over the drug all right so so so
10: you'd have to then make an inference that a person who says yes i knew the drugs were there where is also going to help later on?
9: Yes, that would — there would have to be some reasonable uh, inference. Uh, you think
10: that's not reasonable? I think
9: it is not, just on those facts alone.
5: Am I right in assuming that the other two people in the car didn't testify at the suppression hearing?
9: No, they did not, Your Honor. Yeah. Or at the trial. No, Your Honor, nor at the trial. Only Officer Snyder testified at the motion to suppress hearing for the state. If I may, uh, go back to the common enterprise theory. Uh, as I said, the cases that the state and the, uh, U.S. solicitor rely on here involved, uh, criminal activity conducted in plain view. And which, from which an officer could reasonably infer, I think, a common nefarious enterprise. We have a less than one gram of cocaine in this case that is hidden. Hidden, concealed in the backseat armrest. And secondly, again, with respect to this being a commercial quantity of drugs, there is simply nothing in the record that supports that. This was point well, it was in
2: separate little <laughs> packets, right?
9: Yes, and it was. But that again would buy for a single dose. That, again, Your Honor, is um, not inconsistent with personal use. And certainly I should think that if this police yeah, uh,
2: One of the charges was possession, was it not? I mean, we're not dealing only with intent to distribute, but that,
9: — That is correct. The charge was possession and possession with intent.
0: Well, to say it's not inconsistent with personal use, I don't think gets your client totally off the hook, because something can be both consistent with personal use and consistent with commercial uh, uh, in, intent. Uh, you know, something can, you can infer both ways.
9: However, uh, <coughs> Justice Rehnquist, here this amount is not indicative of an operation that requires the participation of more than one person. This is an amount that if it's for sale, it's for sale. Well, but that- how about
0: the combination of that with the, with the $763 roll in the glove compartment?
9: Well, Your Honor, I think then it would still require speculation on the part of this police officer to assume that one was connected to the other. I think that the only common enterprise that reasonably could have been inferred from the facts of this case is a common enterprise to go from one destination to another, and nothing more than that. And given the concealed nature of the drugs in this case, the lack of any suspicious activities on Mr. Pringle's part, and the lack of, I think, any reasonable inference pointing to complicity that he possessed the hidden drugs, the Maryland Court of Appeals in this case correctly held that there was no probable cause to arrest Mr. Pringle, and this ruling should be affirmed.
0: Thank you, Ms. Forrester. Uh, Mr. Bear, you have four minutes remaining.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. I just wanted to first clarify any uh, record inconsistencies or, or clarifications that might be in order. Uh, I believe that the Court of Appeals opinion, which is at uh, Appendix Page 3A to the petition for cert, makes very clear that the Court of Appeals, the highest court in Maryland, construed the record as uh, the officer seeing a large amount of money rolled up in the glove compartment and it totaled $763. That is clearly stated in the Court of Appeals opinion. And I would direct the Court's attention to the trial transcript uh, at pages 83 to 84. It is not in the joint appendix, but it is in the record in the case. Uh, the trial transcript, pages 83 to 84, from the trial on April 10th of 2000. The police officer who arrested respondent testified at the trial that he saw a large roll of of money in the glove compartment and that it totaled $763. So clearly there is record support and the Court of Appeals so found. With regard to the glove compartment being closed or locked, there's nothing in the record ever indicating that the glove compartment was locked. I think the only natural inference from this record is that it was closed at the time the car was stopped, the officer saw the dro- uh, excuse me, saw the money in the glove compartment when the driver went to retrieve his vehicle registration. And then after the officer ob- obtained consent to search the car, he then opened the glove compartment again and, and seized the money. Uh, I think it's ironic that the rule that is being suggested by a respondent is the bright-line rule that the driver should always be arrested. I think that's absolutely inconsistent uh, with this Court's Fourth Amendment law in closing unless the Court has any questions. Yeah, I do have one.
10: Yes. I think she said, look, there are three possible inferences. One is that the passenger had nothing to do with it, didn't know about it. Two is everybody knew about it, but that's all. And three, they knew about it and wanted to help sell the drugs. All right. Now, she says one plus two are so great that three isn't probable cause. What about at least two?
1: Your Honor, I think all the nature of probable cause is that the officer is entitled to <coughs> accept under the totality of the facts, any of those inferences. I think any, any — is two,
10: two isn't a crime, I mean, if they just all knew about it.
1: Under Maryland law, they have to uh, have uh, an intent to exercise control over the drugs. If they simply knew about it, that would not be enough for a conviction. But I think uh, it, it, it has to be all three. It has to be three is great enough, so despite what — Yes, was, okay. but I think for probable cause purposes, clearly, uh, that would be sufficient. Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Thank you, Mr. Bear. The case is submitted.
4: The honorable
9: court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.